morning. There, raw power. Good morning. I just want you to know I see you. You say, well, good. No, no. Literally, I see you. I want to talk to you this morning about what it means to really see. Now, when I was seven in 1949, my parents brought us back from India where we had, they'd been missionaries and <clears throat> came to New York City. They did an evaluation and they said, uh, Dickie is really nearsighted. Now, you're supposed to be 20-20. What does that mean? Well, it means that you can see an object that you should see 20 feet away from you. You see it clearly. Well, my eyesight was like 2,400 in one eye and 2,600 in the other, and you know. And so for the rest of, my, of those years, for the next 48 years, I wore glasses, like Coke bottle kind of glasses, you know those. And when you're in the fourth grade and you got those thick, it's, it's no small challenge. And so I had that for the next 48 years until April of 1998. In January of that year, I was in D.C., and uh, a dear friend had passed away sitting in a restaurant. He pastored a congregation uh, near Chicago, and they called and said, would you come be our interim pastor for a year? And I said, I can't do that because I've got this D.C. thing, but, but I'll come out for three months till Easter, and I'll, I'll fly out every Sunday. So most every Sunday I flew out to Chicago. And uh, a couple of weeks before Easter, a, a young man came up and said, you know, I know... Uh, that you wear glasses and so forth, but I just want you to know that I'm, I'm an ophthalmologist and I'm a surgeon, and my specialty is LASIK surgery, and I'd, if you're open to it, I would really love to give you a gift, because you've given us a gift. I'd like to give you a gift of LASIK surgery, and of course, you knew my response would, really, no, 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 no. My response was, really? Let's do this. And so on Good Friday, 1998, I went to his office there outside Chicago, went in for 30 minutes, and they put drops in your eyes and the spreader, and they're doing whatever they do with it, and you have a lovely nurse who's sitting next to you patting your arm, saying, so good, you're doing really good. If you're a nurse here, thank you for the pat and the arm thing. That really gets you over the hump. And, uh, and in 30 minutes, I walked out, and it was unbelievable. Ruth was with me, and I walked out, and I started reading the license plates of cars across the parking lot. I was so excited. For months afterwards, we'd be driving along, I'd say, Ruth, you want to see the gas prices two blocks down? Let me tell you about the gas. She'd say, really? But the, but the point is this. It was like a miracle. It's, it's as close to a physical miracle that I've ever experienced. And it's interesting, because in the book, in scriptures, the verb to see has a thread all the way through it. There's, there's a lot of that seeing stuff. You go to the first story in Genesis about Adam and Eve, and, the, and they said, God had said, you got the whole garden, but this one tree, stay away from that. And it said that they saw the fruit. It was good for the, to eat, and they'd get wise. And so they, they saw it, they took it, and they went blind. Now, I don't mean physically blind, but their world went dark when that happened. And then you have Isaiah, that quintessential prophet in the scriptures. It says in Isaiah 6 that I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. His whole presence was there. And the, and the next step in is when I see him like that, then I see me and how I'm not him and how I'm not God, if you will, which is a good thing to see. It's a good thing to understand that. And then you have that wonderful story, probably the best short story in my canon of stories, I suppose, 
ever written, and it's called The Story of the Prodigal Son or the Gracious Father, where the young man wants his inheritance early, which is like saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. And he goes off and squanders it, comes to himself in a far country, heads home because he remembered his father's house. And I love that part where it says, and the father sees him, saw him coming way down the road, and he runs to him. And then, of course, there's Apostle Paul, who wrote 13 of the letters that we have in the New Testament, who's this, he's essentially a religious terrorist back in the day because of what he believed, he would kill people and he would throw, drag them out of their homes and their synagogues and put them in jail and all of that. And what happens is he has this experience going to get some more people on the road to Damascus, Syria, where he said there was a light brighter than the noonday sun, knocked him down, and the story as he tells it, and you can read this in the Acts of the Apostles, that the story as he tells it is that he was blinded for several days, and when he came to, if you will, or when, when he was not blinded anymore, the scales fell off his eyes, and his mission was to go and share this good news about Jesus so that it could open the eyes of people who were in darkness. I mean, just listen to how we talk about things. We connect seeing with comprehension. We'd say, well, that's not the way I see it. Or we say, I, you know, I just couldn't see my way clear to do that. Or I saw right through that guy. Or when I'm really frustrated with you, I explained it 13 times, I'm saying, can't you see? Well, Today, we're going to take one man's journey from darkness to light, and it's found in the Gospel of John. It's one chapter, 41 verses in the Gospel of John, and it tells this whole story that I'm about to tell you. You can read this story out loud in four minutes. You say, you're going to read us the whole story? Today? Yeah, pretty much, and, but it's only four minutes, and so we'll just go through it and see how, see how it goes. But before we go there, let me, let me give you my scientific approach to sight. Now, those of you who know me <laughs> know that my scientific level is modest. That's the understatement of the year. It's about that deep. But here's a picture of an eyeball right here. That outer covering there is the cornea. It's the thin covering. And then you have the pupil, and the light comes into your eye through the pupil that lets the light in. And then the iris... That's the color of your eyes. So you've got blue eyes or green eyes, you've got brown eyes or whatever you have, and that adjusts like a camera shutter to let enough light in. And it goes out through the lens, through the vitreous humor back, and it hits that retina, that sensitive thing in the, in the very back of your eyeball. And that has these things called photoreceptors, and they take that light and turn it into electrical signals that go through the optic nerve to the visual cortex of your brain, which is back here, and that turns it into images. While I'm talking to you, the light's coming in, and it's doing all that stuff. I've got electrical things going on in the back of my eyes, hitting here, and I can see you. And it does that thousands, millions of times a day in all kinds of settings. Well, that's all the science for now, but let me just put it this way. When a baby is born, I understand that they don't really see colors very much when they're small. They see, you know, shades of gray and light and dark and so forth. But they focus, they tend to focus maybe 13 to 18 inches out when they're small, just about the distance from 
a child in a, let's say, a mother's arms to her face. And they tend to see the top half of the face, I understand. And the person we're going to meet today in this story had never seen his mother's face. He'd never seen his own face in a pool or anything, or a sunrise, or a sunset. Never saw light dancing on the water. Never saw golds or reds or greens. Never saw a flower or a hummingbird or those towering cumulus clouds like we have here in the summer. Some of those clouds on a, one of those moist days when it's been real hot and I look out to the east or the west and I say to Ruth, look at those things. I mean, you're looking at 30,000 foot high, these pristine white things, but like you don't want to fly into them. But there's just, there's something about that. That, for this man, is about to change. Here's the story. As he went along, this is Jesus, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, we don't even know who the who is here. There's no name given to this person. And, and I, I did this in the other three services and I wasn't vaporized, so I'm going to go for it again. I'm going to give this nameless man blind from birth. I'm going to give him a name this morning just so we have a reference point. I'm going to call him Ben Ezra, son of Ezra, okay? So here's Ben Ezra and the disciples are working from their own theological traditions when they say to Jesus, they say to Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? Because the understanding was that sickness came from sinning. That's where that was. Now, you know, that could very well be, but if it's the sin, I don't think it's Ben Ezra. I, you know, you go way back to the garden where somebody disobeyed, and we call that the fall. We call that the curse, if you will. But the, but the point is this that I find very interesting. They ask a who question. They ask, they ask kind of a blaming question. All right, who did this? Who knocked over the whatever? You know, that sort of thing, that kind of question. And Jesus doesn't answer it. He doesn't answer the who question. And really, I mean, he said something about it, as we'll see. But Jesus is so interesting for me in this because when you read the Gospels, a lot of times people will ask him questions and it's like he ignores the question. He doesn't, he just goes on. Or he gives the answer to the question that should have been asked if the person was really with it. If they, I've had numbers of those moments with Jesus, I think, in my own life where I'm asking the wrong question. And if you don't ask a question that gets the answer that needs to move the ball down the field, it's a whole different thing. So they ask him a who question and he gives them a why answer. This is what he says. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. I'm going, what's that about? That the, so he's been blind all of his life so that God could show up in this moment? See, now this helps me understand why I don't know how God thinks. His ways are different than my ways. I mean, if... If a thousand years is as a day, then maybe 28 years is like that in his economy. But the point that Jesus is making here is 
is that he said, I think, is that he's saying, let me give you the larger picture. Along, as long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me, the Father. Night's coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So he takes the discussion from a blind man to the, under, the larger understanding of how does darkness and light work? How does that work? What's that about? Here's just a thought. This is my first thought. How I see physically or spiritually affects everything. How I can see affects everything. It affects the direction I go. It affects confidence that I might have in myself. It affects balance and range, capacity, relationships. You wouldn't have that song the first time ever I saw your face. And you know that some of you are younger, don't know that song, but it's a cool song. Okay. So after saying this, Jesus, he spit on the ground. He made some mud with the saliva. <laughs> and if you're in the medical community or you're concerned about germs, you're saying, really? I'm just telling you what it says. Spit on the ground, made some mud, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, this word that means sent. Let me just make this observation. The methods that Jesus uses to connect with us are absolutely designed for us. You say, yeah, I know it's a great... No, 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 no. I'm talking that of 7.3 billion or 7.8, whatever the number is right now, of the people on planet Earth, if there had only been one of us, I believe Jesus would have come for that one because it's, each of us sees the world in a bit of a different way, don't we? I mean, the closest person that you are connected to, you see the world in certain places in different ways from each other. And, and he, here is Jesus who has 49 conversations in the Gospels, no two of which are alike, even if they're on the same subject. They're not alike. It's like those of you who have children. We have four kids, right? Now they're all adults, but I can remember these conversations with Ruth because of how they responded to things and reacted to things. We have this statement, did all these kids come out of the same gene pool? And they, see, some of you get this, and the answer is absolutely, it's all your fault. No, I, I, I didn't say that in the first three services. That just slipped out. I don't know what happened there. So. But, the, but here's, here's the deal. He heals blind people in the Gospels in different ways. One guy, he just spoke to him. Another guy, he touched him. Another guy, he spit right in his eye. This one, here's mud in your eye. That's how this goes. So, so the man went. He listened, obeyed. He went and washed and came home seeing. Pastor Brent, between services, Pastor Brent and I were chatting, and he said, you know, when we take folks on these trips to Israel, we walk through Hezekiah's Tunnel, which was built under the old city, of Jerusalem back when they were under siege and you walk through this tunnel that's a third of a mile long there is no light it's pitch black and you come out all of a sudden boom into the light and it's the pool of Siloam now for for Ben Ezra it's no different to him he could tell he was in a tunnel but he's already in pitch black so he goes through this tunnel and boom he's there at the pool of Siloam I love this part. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. 
Others said, no, no, no. He only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I'm the man. How could that be? How could they not recognize this guy? He's been begging, begging at that corner for the last 12 and a half years. How could, how could they not recognize? Well, some people look a little different when they're sitting down. People look different when they can't look you in the eye. People, and here he comes, and people walk different. Because if I'm blind, this is what I do back in the day. I'm taking short steps, and I'm feeling along the wall, and I'm going by hearing. I get down to the place where they sell turtle doves. I know that corner, and so that's just how it works. This guy goes and washes in the pool, and, and he comes back seeing. Now, just go with me a minute on this. You're Ben Ezra, you've never seen anything, and you go and you wash the mud out of your eyes. You've gone down through Hezekiah's tunnel. You can hear people on the other end by the pool. You kind of find your way around, find the edge of what it is. You kneel down there, and you splash the water in your eyes, and you get the mud out, and you're, and you're blinking. <laughs> you're blinking, and I, I, I don't know what his condition was. I don't know if he even had eyeballs. Sometimes that's true. They don't... But whatever God did here, he didn't just, like, help him see. He rewired his brain for that to happen. I mean, God always goes beyond whatever I think he will do. That's just how it works. And so he splashes and he opens his eyes. Can you see him here? And he looks, and for the first time in his entire life, he sees blue. Look at that. And look at those. Those must be clouds. And look at those stones in the wall. They've been here hundreds of years. I felt them before, but I've never seen one. There's something about that. So he comes back into the neighborhood, and he's not doing this. He comes back in the neighborhood. He's standing tall, all five foot nine of him. And he's walking into town. He comes walking in. He's not just walking. I think he's striding. That's, I can imagine it any way I want. I'd like you to. He's striding. I think he's taking, I think he's got maybe a little of this going. And uh, go from blind guy begging to the guy with the swagger. Why not? Because this is the God who when he touches you, all bets are off. When he touches you, your world can never be the same. And I, and he, Ben Ezra, starts seeing himself in a different way. How I see myself when I'm touched by Jesus, how I see myself changes the lens on that picture of the eyeball. The lens through which I see my world, oftentimes, many times, maybe all the time, is shaped by my experiences back there when I was young. How many of us, when we were five years old, there was some giant in our, our world, we call them adults, who said something to us or about us in our impressionable years when we were wet cement so that fingerprints get left on our soul. And they said something that was negative, and they said it more than once. And for the rest of my years, I've been seeing the world through that lens because I believed that about me or you have that crazy uncle harry who would come over and tell you like you were the greatest 
And, the, and that's a whole different lens through which we, but I, I think the God who creates physical lenses wants to recreate spiritual lenses through which we see him and see ourselves. And that's how that, I mean, here's, here's a kid. Here's a kid who never saw, he never played hide or seek. He never played tag unless he was always it. Went on no trips. He spent his whole life begging. And they asked him the question, how then were your eyes opened? And they asked, he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. The, the deal here is that obedience is the key. I mean, he could have said to Jesus, you know, all of my life people have been putting me on. They've been making fun of me. They've been doing stuff to me. And now... I'm a vulnerable dude, and you put mud in my eye and want me to go through town, down through Hezekiah's tunnel and wash it out. He could have said that. Apparently, he didn't say that. Apparently, he got up, and I don't know how he knew where Hezekiah's tunnel or the pool of Siloam was. I don't know. Maybe he'd been there before. But the point is this, that he found his way there, and obedience was the key. I don't know why he obeyed Jesus. Maybe it was, maybe it was the tone Maybe there was something electric in the touch. But then they ask him the question, where is this man? <laughs> His answer is, I don't know. He knew something, but he didn't know that. Not yet. The next phase in this story is then those people bring him to the Pharisees he said they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the Pharisees were the power group. They were the religious leaders. They controlled what we would today call thought leaders. They were more than that. They had a stake in the game to keep people in this frame of reference. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud, <laughs> that's, that's, that's probably one of the best lines in Scripture. The day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed it, and I washed, and now I see. So Jesus did a good thing on the wrong day, apparently, because it says, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. You don't work on the Sabbath. What if for God, giving people a whole new life isn't work. What if for God, unleashing people to see clearly is a celebration? It's not work for him. It might be work for you, but it's not. What, what if that were true? And I believe that, in fact, is true because it's in his nature to do that. But the problem was it didn't fit their system. It didn't fit what they understood about God. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, okay, assuming if you didn't keep the Sabbath, you sinned, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided, so it put them in tension, you know. Next verse, then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, he's a prophet. So I don't know if this was three days after it happened or a week and a half or the next day. I don't know. But he goes from Jesus the man 
to Jesus the prophet. And you start seeing the arc of his growth that he, he not only is seeing in pristine clarity with his physical eyes, he's starting to see in pristine clarity with his spiritual eyes, which go farther than our physical eyes. And prophet is like top of the food chain, if I can put it that way. The prophets in the, in the scriptures were messengers from God, God speaking to man. The priestly class were God responding or man responding to God. Here's the group. They still did not believe that he'd been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. So we need to get some more people in here and to, just to confirm, right? Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he's our son, the parents asked, and we know he was born blind, but how can he see now or who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. Studies show that w once I take a position on something, I really am locked into it for whatever reasons. Maybe it was handed down to me. Maybe I really believe it. Once I take that, even if there are other facts or truth presented, a lot of time people will not be open to considering that. Seems to be going on here. And so his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. So here's the problem. If we say that guy healed our boy, that means in their minds he's the Messiah, which is not where they want them to be, and we'll be out of the synagogue. Well, if you're out of the synagogue, it isn't like leaving Timberline Church, okay? If you're out of the synagogue in that culture, you're like out of the culture. You're, I mean, it's, it's the center of your entire life in a lot of ways. And it, it's like they brought the parents in to say to the boy, have you thought about your family in this? You're giving us this line about somebody that healed your eyes. You know, if you don't get this right, your family's gone. Classic pressure points. So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind, give glory to God by telling the truth. That's their way of saying, we know you've been lying, so come on, give us the straight deal. And they said, we know this man is a sinner. And this is my favorite part of this episode. Whether he's a sinner, the man said, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. I love it. We're watching him grow. We're watching him see more clearly. You know, he's saying, you know he's a sinner. I know I'm healed. Go figure. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Here's, a, here's like my second favorite line. Do you want to become his disciples too? <laughs> he, he goes, take that. You know, that's one of those things. His growing confidence as he sees life more clearly, as he sees God more clearly. This is not some religious category. This is not some catechism he's learned, some set of ideas. This is the fact that his entire physical life has been transformed. And on the backstroke, 
His spiritual life is radically being changed. Then they hurled insults at him, said, you're this fellow's disciples, we're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but it's for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. When you can't win an argument, attack the person. That's what's going on here. The man answered, now that is remarkable. I mean, he's, he's got the guts going now. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. So these are the theologians, and he's reading to them from their book. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but that the godly person who does his will, nobody has ever heard of the opening of the eyes of a man born blind. Here's his summation. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. For them, they weren't looking at a new life unleashed. They were not looking at that. They could not, they were blinded to that. All they could see was that they were going to lose power if this didn't work out right. John 9, 34. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin. They doubled down on him. Steeped in sin, how dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. I can almost see if that old Dr. Pepper tune were in play. I can almost see him walking out going, he's a sinner, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. But he's saying, I'm a sinner who sees for the very first time in his life. How I see my circumstances creates the entire tone for my life. How I see my circumstances creates the entire tone for my life. I want you to meet Francis. Francis was born in 1820. She found out when she was 11 or so that she had a gift for language. She started writing poems. Later on, she married to a fellow named um, Van Anstyle. She was Francis Van Anstyle. And in her 40s, which would have been about the time of the Civil War, she started writing gospel songs. She had come to faith along the way and hymns. And her husband, when she started writing these, she's very prolific, wanted her to use her maiden name. Her nickname for Francis was Fanny, and her maiden name was Crosby. And Fanny Crosby died in 1915. During those years between the Civil War and 1915, she became the most prolific gospel song and hymn writer in the history of this country, maybe in the world. She wrote over 9,000 songs during the course of her 94 years, most of it in the last 50 years, sometimes several a day. Did I, did I, I don't think I mentioned, well, I know I didn't mention this yet, that from the time she was three, Fanny Crosby was totally blind. And when she writes these songs, she, she sees a world that many people didn't see in some ways. We know some of her songs. Those of you who have a few gray hairs or been around church for a while, you know songs like Blessed Assurance Jesus in my, is Mine or Jesus Keep Me Near the Cross. One of my favorites is this one. <clears throat> I'm going to give it a go if you want to join me. That'd be good. It goes like this. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his Son who yielded his life an atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. 
Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. O come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he has done. And this blind woman is penning these words. Let me read you the second verse. Great things he has taught us, great things he has done, and great are rejoicing through Jesus the Son, but purer and higher and greater will be our joy and our wonder when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he has done. Give yourself a hand. That was great. I got to tell you, when you're standing here and getting this, it's a moment. Just want you to know that. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Ever feel thrown out? Ever been dismissed, summarily dismissed, as they say, for whatever reason? Jesus is in the habit of going and finding people who have been thrown out for the wrong reasons and calling them to himself for the right reasons. We need to remember, Ben Ezra had never seen Jesus till this moment. He had heard him. He had felt the touch of the mud on his eyes, but he had never seen his face until then. And Jesus says, you have now seen him. He's the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. The blind man goes from with obedience, begins with obedience, goes from darkness to light. He goes from obedience to worship. Here's the deal. How I see God charts the course of my years. How I see my circumstances charts the tone of my life. But how I see God charts the course of my years. I love that Tozer for A.W. Tozer. You've heard me say it several times. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So John 9 is the trajectory of a life from darkness to light, obedience to worship, from the man Jesus to the Lord of my life. Can you imagine Ben Ezra years down the road sitting with grandchildren? Little ones have climbed up on his lap the, like the 10-year-olds are sitting on the floor. Teenagers are hanging in the doorway over there. And, you know, and one of the little ones says, Grandpa, tell us that story. Tell us one more time what happened. You said you were blind. We didn't know you when you were blind. But tell us what happened that day. I mean, you talk about a legacy. You talk about handing something down through the generations that changes a whole family, that changes a whole culture. What a powerful thing. Here's my closing thoughts. We're out, okay? My question for this is, on that trajectory from darkness to light, on that trajectory from obedience to worship, 
on that trajectory from Jesus the man to the Lord of my life, where am I? Because all of us are on a trajectory and sometimes it's like, it feels like three steps forward, two steps back, doesn't it? I mean, it's just, that's, that's how it works. But to what degree, because there are moments in our lives that change how we see ourselves and the people around us. Uh, I'm a young pastor at the University of Illinois. I'm 26 years old and I've been preaching to people like I was preached to. And I was preached to um, by people telling me what to do, you know doesn't work very much but that's the way I was I grew up in that environment in church and if I'm a 14 year old I don't need one more person telling me what to do right and so they were so I was repeating what happened to me and I was so frustrated because the church was growing a lot of college students were growing but it was slow and I said you know I'm saying these things that I think I'm supposed to be saying but they don't seem to be doing it these these friends and and I felt like the Lord said to me not in a voice but just in a thought Foth, why don't you stop telling those people what to do and start telling them who I am and let me tell them what to do. And I'm such a deal. It's a huge burden off you, huge burden off me. Let's go there. And so for the, for the last 50 years, 55 years, I've enjoyed so much just going around telling people who he is and letting him take it from there. That's how that works. And so here, here we have the question, where am I on that arc? And the second one is where do I want to be? I know the statement, the statement I think any of us wants this weekend is, Lord, I want to see. And I want to see better than I'm seeing now. Thank you for what you're going to do in me. Let's pray. As our worship team comes, I just want to pray for us and with us. Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace. As you, as you go along, you find us sitting in the silliest, saddest places. And you've tagged us and said, you're it. And I believe you mean it. Thank you for what you have done in my life and in the lives of my friends here at Timberline and online. Help us to just contemplate, reflect on this day, where we think we are on that arc of obedience to worship, darkness to light. For some of us, we've been on that arc for a long time and we're so grateful. And for those of us here who have been who haven't really responded, who haven't, we've been around, but we haven't really said, I'm in, I want to see. May this be that day and that moment. We believe you for that. Lord, we want to see. Thank you for being the healer who makes that happen. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen.